0: Well, as you can tell, a color has changed up here somewhere. There's a little bit of red. Today is what we call the day of Pentecost in the life of the church. This marks the 50th day since Easter. So Easter is now over. Sorry to break the news to you. And Pentecost is here and pentecost of course is the day in which we remember how the holy spirit was poured out upon the church on that very first pentecost the word pentecost literally means 50 days and so it's the 50 days from easter it's also the 50 days that the jews mark their feast the festival of weeks from the passover so it's measured by the same span of time between the jewish faith and our own faith even today but we begin a new series today You can see up on the screen, renew. And we're going to be focused for the next five weeks or so on how to live a spirit-centered life, how to live a spirit-centered life. And we're going to start today by looking at how the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the life of the church on that very first Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit is still being poured out and released in the life of the church even today. Now, as we read some of the stories of Jesus' appearance after his resurrection, for the most part, the disciples or the followers of Jesus either went back to their day jobs or they were hiding, one or the other. They went back to their day jobs or they were hiding. And the day of Pentecost, something shifts and changes. And what has changed is this, is that it's time to go public. And this event on the first Pentecost Sunday is a very public event that occurs. So, I want to talk first about how the church is a powerful community. Then, I want to talk about how the church is a public community. And then, I want to talk about how the church is a proclaiming community. Classic alliteration. <laughs> Classic, all right? So, let's talk first about the church as a powerful community. Now, my first exposure to the church as a powerful community is when I first became a Christian when I was 13. In the little town I lived in in Oklahoma, there weren't many churches there. There were a lot of very, very small churches that you know had maybe 20 to 30 people in them, but there were three larger churches in that town. One was the Roman Catholic Church, the other was the Southern Baptist Church, and then, of course, the third one was a Methodist Church. And so I landed in the Methodist church, because that's where most of my friends went to church when I first became a Christian. And lo and behold, when I came to that church, I found that I had become part of a Methodist church that was part of the charismatic movement in the Methodist denomination. And so it was more like a Pentecostal church than it was any kind of Methodist church that maybe you've ever seen. And I worshipped as a part of that church for several years, so that's what I thought Methodism was. And then I came back to California... I came back, and it was very, very different. It was very different. But after not too much time, I crossed paths with a a co-worker who introduced me to another Methodist church in Anaheim. And the pastor of that church was a man named David Walker. And David was one of the early leaders in the charismatic movement in the Methodist church. And I was so thankful to have known David for 30 years until he died probably about eight, nine years ago david was the director of a conference on prayer and healing and so for a week every summer we would go off on a retreat at a free methodist campground of all places and we would have a time together for worship for prayer for quiet even a little bit of free time and it's there that i began to learn even more now as an adult not just as a teenager about the church as a powerful community when we would gather for worship there would be times for open praise there'd be time for people to speak a word of prophecy yes you would even hear people speaking in tongues it was Pentecostal my friends Pentecostal part of my life for a good 20 years going to the conference on prayer and healing and so when I talk about the church as a powerful community I I just simply want to raise the notion that perhaps there's a, a power from God's Holy Spirit that in many ways the church not just our church, but the church has yet to fully embrace and know to accomplish its mission in the world. The church is a powerful community. Now, what happened on that first Pentecost was an infilling or a, a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to those gathered in that room in Jerusalem because Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Even John the Baptist told them that the Holy Spirit would eventually come and baptize them with fire. So it shouldn't have been a surprise what happened on that particular day. It says in the text that they heard a sound like a rushing wind, they saw flame, like tongues like flames appear over their heads, and they all began to speak in languages that were not their own. Now, this was an interesting convergence because there in Jerusalem, there were Jews from around the world who were there for the Festival of Weeks. And so they were hearing them speak in their own languages when they were listening to what was going on in that room. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But what I want to suggest here is this, is that, that God has called the church for a mission. And the only way to accomplish that mission is with the Holy Spirit. Before the day of Pentecost... The followers of Jesus had largely gone back to their day jobs and they hid. And from the day of Pentecost forward, the church of Jesus and the community of Jesus became a missional movement. It was a movement that was thrust outward. We never read again after the day of Pentecost a day when Peter went fishing. We never read about any of the disciples going back to their day jobs. Matthew never goes back to being a tax collector something shifted on that day and it was when the power of the holy spirit fell upon all of those disciples so it's interesting that if the mission god has given the church requires the holy spirit to accomplish that mission why is it we talk so little of the holy spirit we talk often about god we talk often about jesus we we focus our attention on the saving grace of the cross of Jesus Christ, but we spend very little time talking about the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit. The grace that's at work in our lives to empower us to do the mission God has called us to do. And so in some ways you can trace a line back for A church that maybe isn't accomplishing its mission it may not be simply because it doesn't know what its mission is it simply may not have fellowship yet completely with the Holy Spirit that tells them what the mission is what Jesus has asked the church to do is impossible without the Holy Spirit but with the Holy Spirit all things are possible even a Galilean fisherman who's never spoken public probably a day in his life, gets up and preaches an eloquent rabbinic sermon about the promised coming of Jesus and its meaning for each and every person listening to him that day. It's a remarkable story. The church is a powerful community. So let's be clear. The Holy Spirit gives the church its capacity Hold on to your pew, please. For supernatural manifestations of power. Now, when we think supernatural, you think, oh, does that mean we can fly? No, 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 that's not what I mean. Supernatural, but I mean by that, isn't so much, don't think of a comic book. And don't even think of going to a, a, a you know, a, I won't even get into that. <laughs> what I want you to dwell on is the capacity To do works that are beyond human capacity. The capacity to render mercy, justice, compassion, forgiveness, prophecy, healings, miracles. The capacity to do things beyond what is human capacity. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit, is to bear witness to a power at work within us that normally couldn't come naturally from us. And that's what I mean by a supernatural capacity. Please don't try to walk on water today. <laughs> Work up to that, maybe. <laughs> but what I'm suggesting, though, is that the way God's grace is known through us is by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through us, not just our particularly charismatic presentation, which my Gen Z daughter tells me is called the Riz. Riz. Did you know that? Now you know it. To be charismatic means you have the riz, is how you say it. File that away for later use. A growing church manifests signs of the Holy Spirit. It manifests signs of power. So when we hear testimonies from people, We are testimonies of God's power at work in their life. Power to heal. Power to speak a word that they never thought they could ever speak. Power to render justice and compassion in ways they never thought possible. That's what it means to be a church filled with God's power. But let's remember something very important, and it's easy to forget. The Holy Spirit is not given to any one of us. The holy spirit is given to the community of jesus every time in the bible whether it's in acts or in the writings of paul where it talks about how the holy spirit is in you that that word you is always in the plural it is never in the singular so y'all helps us out a lot here and all y'all helps even more So what happens is that we each receive gifts from the Holy Spirit, but we receive gifts from the Holy Spirit that work together with the gifts other people have. So all of the gifts of the Spirit complement each other. It's in this way that we are complementarians, not so much along lines of gender, no, but along lines of our giftedness of the Holy Spirit and how we all work together as a community to make a whole that any one of us apart is not enough. We're called to be part of a community. It's for this reason, this very sense of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this, our, our notion of pneumatology and ecclesiology or the theological words we call this, has to do with the fact that you cannot go alone as a Christian. We must be together because the gifts I have only work when they're with the gifts you have. We, together, are the community of Jesus and in a powerful community we're called to be. So some questions for you to wonder about this week. What signs are there in your life of being filled with the Holy Spirit? How have you manifested the gifts of the Holy Spirit this week? And how do we hear and respond to the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit? The first time I saw something that was a little wacky from the Holy Spirit... I said it was wacky I was arrogant I wasn't open to what God was doing remember it's the spirit of the Lord that leads the church guides us leads us into all truth very active in our lives So I said there were three things, right? The church is a powerful community. It's also a public community. Now, when this event happened on that very first Pentecost, it was at the same time of a Jewish festival called the Feast of Weeks or the Festival of the Weeks. And it was basically uh, a a festival of seven weeks of weeks. I, I, I don't mean to confuse you, but it's like seven sevens. That's where we get Pentecost from, 49, seven times seven And then 50 days is the end of it all right so it's the festival of weeks and so as the Jews celebrated Passover 50 days later they would have the festival of the weeks which was typically their celebration of the spring harvest and their Thanksgiving to God later on by the second or third century after the time of Jesus it became known as a day in which we commemorate the giving of the law to Moses on Sinai and today if you were to go to a a synagogue uh, last weekend or in this coming weekend, that would be the focus that when the law was given to Moses on Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And so all of these Jews from around the ancient world are in Jerusalem for the Festival of Weeks. And they are, are there at that time of year more than Passover because Passover is still kind of in the shoulder season between winter and spring. And so sometimes the weather's not so hot in Jerusalem, literally. And so During the Festival of Weeks, a lot more Jews come from around the ancient world and gather in the city for this great religious celebration. At 9 o'clock in the morning, which is when we know this is happening, they're in the temple praying for a specific hour of prayer at 9 o'clock in the morning. And apparently, not very far away is this room where 120 followers of Jesus are gathered together when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them in all this commotion and chaos. So everyone who's gathered in the temple can hear and see what's going on in that room. This was not a secret room where the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was a public room. The church is a public community. And it says they, the people who were in Jerusalem said they heard... The followers of Jesus speaking in their own language which means no matter where they were from in the world they could hear what was being said in that room in their own native tongue and props to Lydia for getting through that list verse 9 Parthians Medes Elamites the residents of Mesopotamia Judea Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phrygia Pamphylia Egypt, parts of Libya that surround Serene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue, and listen, look at the last part, speaking in our own tongue, tongue of what? The mighty deeds of God. What, were they talking about how awesome they were? How cool their music was? How their location is strategic? What they speak of? Remember, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is given to the church so it can accomplish something, and what it accomplishes is it speaks of the mighty deeds of God. So as we think as a church this year about the testimonies we want to be telling in the life of our church that Pastor Camille is working on all year long, the stories we want to tell are stories about that, the mighty deeds of God in people's lives. We want to bear witness to that. So let's worry less for a minute about who was there and just wonder about these three truths. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Number one, the outpouring of the Spirit was heard and seen. It wasn't private. The story that it go, as it goes in Acts tells us about a sound people could hear and something they could see with their own eyes that were t- was taking place in that room with 120 followers of Jesus. Second, the message was spoken about what? What? Now say it like you mean it, the mighty deeds of God. God. And the third thing is that the response of those gathered was to question or to wonder. Later on, we're going to hear about the question the crowd asked in response to Peter's sermon. We'll talk about this next week. And the question they asked first was, what does this mean? And the second question they asked is, what shall we do? And we'll get to the what shall we do question next week. What does this mean is an important question for this week. They wondered. When Luke writes the story in Acts chapter 2, he uses some interesting words to describe the response of all those people gathered in the temple. He says they were bewildered. In another verse, he says they're amazed. In another verse, he says they're astonished. And in another verse, he says they're perplexed. Bemused. I mean, bewildered, amused, astonished, perplexed. I'm not lost, don't worry. When was the last time someone said any of those words to describe our church? When people saw us in the public and they were bewildered. Maybe. Amazed. Astonished. Perplexed. all the people who were in the temple that day they said are these not Galileans in some ways the crowd were simply saying that what is being manifest by these people is beyond them are these not Galileans are these not some country bumpkins Friends, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit is a public act. It is not a private one. It is not intended solely for the use of your prayer closet. It is intended to be made manifest in the life of the church and the community. We're trained socially within the culture of America to not talk about two things. What are they? Religion and politics. Politics. I'm telling you, my friends, that Acts has a problem with that. The Holy Spirit has a problem with that because there are two things that Acts keeps coming back to again and again and again, religion and politics in public. You're going to read about one leader after another leader after another leader after another leader that the Apostle Paul is going to stand in front of and bear witness to the gospel. That's how politics happens in Acts, by bearing witness to those in power. Next Sunday at 4 o'clock, Pastor Camille is going to tell you later about an activity we have called a prayer walk. We're actually going to do something as a church, not in the building. We're going to go public next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We've done prayer walks before. That's not new. But I want to encourage you to listen carefully to what Pastor Camille tells you about it later on in our worship We're going to meet here at church at four we're going to pray through our community of queen anne next sunday afternoon we hope you'll join us it's one way you can go public the church my friends does not exist for itself it exists for the sake of the world around us oh i'll say that again the church does not exist for itself it exists for the sake of the world around us and that world needs wonder and awe. That world around us needs to be bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed by us. But as we do that, we need to remember these two things. We must do more outside these walls as a church. We must do more outside these four walls as a church. And we must seek the release of the spirit in our lives. How many of you would like to see this church grow again? I didn't say, put your hands down. As the, as your pastor and your caretaker, when those two things happen, we will grow. When those two things happen, we will grow. And we're beginning to see the signs already, aren't we? We're beginning to see little pockets pop up here and there. Let's give thanks for those. Now, even when everything is going great, it's going awesome, the church is booming, there will be some among us and even outside who will say, Oh, they're drunk on sweet wine. That's what it says in Acts 2. People thought what was going on. They're just, they're just drunk. And then Peter, when he starts his sermon, says, Look, folks, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It literally says this in Greek. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and the time to get drunk hasn't arrived yet, is literally what he says. Oh, so much for the free Methodist teetotaling. Here are some questions to wonder about. How has your life in Christ become too private? And another question is, is what is one step or action you can take to live your faith more publicly? What's one step or action you can take to live your faith more publicly? The church is a powerful community, the church is a public community, and finally what? The Church is a proclaiming community. You see, we're not a group of people that have a bunch of unexplained actions and deeds. Luke's gospel makes it clear, and it always demonstrates a cycle in the way Luke writes his gospel and the way he writes the book of Acts, that there's always an action, then an explanation. Jesus heals somebody, then it's explained. Jesus walks on water, then it's explained. Jesus feeds the 5,000, then it's explained. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out, he explains it. He makes it clear what has happened in their midst so once this mighty sign has been seen by so many where some are wondering what does this mean other people are saying oh they're drunk on sweet wine peter rises up to speak now anyone who knows peter knows that this is a stretch for him isn't it he's a galilean fisherman he's a galilean fisherman This is exactly what what makes him the perfect candidate to speak because he's the least qualified. The same Galilean fisherman who denied Jesus three times. The same Peter that just a few days before sat at a campfire with Jesus, as we talked about recently, dealing with his own shame about his denial of Jesus. That Peter, he gets up and he preaches a sermon He's incredibly confident, but notice where his confidence comes from. It doesn't come from himself, it comes from God. So Peter proclaims that it's far too early for people to be drunk. We'll get to that later in the day. Peter's message explains what people are seeing, and he uses the Bible to do it. He quotes the prophet Joel to tell them that what you're seeing happen right now in your midst is what the prophet Joel foretold. So this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And then Peter goes on to tell them about the story of Jesus' coming, goes on to talk about the scriptures that predicted Jesus' coming, Jesus' betrayal, his crucifixion, his death, even the scriptures that spoke of his resurrection. In Acts 2, Peter offers this vision of the life of Jesus as a fulfillment of Jewish scripture to a group of Jews who've gathered from around the world, and he explains to them the essential message of the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about the end of his sermon where all the people look at him and say, what shall we do? And Peter gives them the answer. Hmm. The meaningful question that the crowd asked Peter is what does this mean? And Peter addressed that question and he practically ignored the people jeering at him. So when you look at the amount of text that's in Luke chapter two, there's a lot more text in Peter's sermon Speaking to the people who were asking the question, what does this mean? Whereas the people who were saying, oh, they're drunk on sweet wine, he basically said, sit down and shut up, it's nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> See the difference? One of the biggest squanderings of the church's resources today is that we spend all this time arguing with people. We've been baited into this culture war that we will never come out on the right side of in the public eye. Instead, let's spend our time in this space, where people say, what does this mean? What's going on in that church? Why are you guys walking around the neighborhood all the time praying for us? What are you doing? Why do you take care of foster children so much? Why is that important to you? Why are you taking a mission trip? Why do you support missionaries? We could go on and on and on and on. People need to ask questions. So a couple questions for us to wonder about. When did you last verbalize your Christian faith to a non-believer? Oh, that's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? When was the last time you verbalized your faith to a non-believer? On Friday afternoon, I played nine rounds of golf down here at the Inner bay. And I got to play with two guys that live in Magnolia. One works for Amazon, the other sells commercial insurance. They're both in their early 30s. One was named David, one was named Aaron. Are you here? Okay, good, they're not, I invited them. As I look back on that Experience Friday, I had time, you know, they ask, well, you know, by the fourth or fifth hole of golf, people ask, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And then they say, "Where are at, and I go, First Free Methodist. (laughs) Where's that? North Queen Anne. I wasn't that bad. I could have been better. I could have been better. Lots of opportunities. So we finished up our round of golf, take off our hats, shake hands with one another, and I said, love to see you at my church sometime. You're welcome to come. Please do. And they said, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And maybe David or Aaron will show up one of these days. They'll probably sit in the back and make a quick escape when service is over, so watch out for them. <laughs> a question is, is when did you last verbalize your Christian faith to a non-believer? And another question is, what often keeps us from sharing when the opportunity is right? When people are filled with that question, what does this mean? What keeps us sometimes from stepping into that to say, ah, oh, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and to tell our story of Him? So friends, as we finish this morning, I just simply want to put before you the, the possibility that we need a deeper touch from the Holy Spirit. That perhaps we need to center on this third person of the Trinity we spend so little time with. There's a reason we spend so little time talking about the Holy Spirit. Because it's the greatest attack the devil has ever unleashed on the earth is to keep the church from talking and thinking and wondering about the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us not be victims of that trick anymore. Let's pray. We come before you this day, O God, in deep need, deep need of your Holy Spirit. For oftentimes we've been content being Christian ideologues, people who agree with Jesus, or maybe just people who agree with Christians. But God, you call us to something deeper. You call us to know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so our prayer earnestly this day is that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this church. Pour out that Spirit and power. That those in the life of this congregation would manifest the signs and wonders of your Spirit. That we would see and hear with wonder and amazement your power at work in our midst. So Lord, we have the audacity to gather around this table this day to pray for exactly what you promised your church. To pray and seek, God, exactly what you promised to pour out upon us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And teach us, God, to pray and seek and hunger in such a way as that we will be satisfied with nothing less than the fullness of your Spirit released in our lives. For that to be true, O God, we know we must be of repentant hearts. We must come before you humbly. We must recognize that it is not by our merit we receive power from you, but it is by your good grace. Amen.